From the news capital of the world, this is the Ayn Rand Center UK's daily objective. Jonathan Honig here with Mark Pellegrino and a, as they say, ripped from the headline story. We're talking a bit about Cuba today and some pretty remarkable protests that have broken out in just the last couple of days and couple of weeks. Not just the protests themselves, those have been covered in, in pretty big detail, but we're gonna talk about some of the reaction to the protests in the media and also among uh, the so-called left, certain particular groups and worldwide, certainly here in America and the UK, who've always had a thing for Cuba. They loved Cuba. So we're gonna talk a bit about how that relates to the protests. And I know, Mark, I wanna get into a little bit about the, the ideas that go behind the support of Cuba. I mean, why is it when we have over and over again, these failed socialist states, communist states, um, why is it that so many people, educated people say, oh, but you know, it was a good idea, it just didn't work in practice. So why does that linger even on? And something tells me the answer is gonna be philosophical. Um, Mark Pellegrino is here, obviously, actor, advocate, super well-read. And, and Mark, you won the OAC's uh, Objective Ac Academic Center's contest, I believe two years running. I did? Best, best student, as I recall. Anyway, Mark Pellegrino's with yeah, and us. I th and it was either me or Stephen Shub. I know that we, we tied the first year and then I think he won it the second year. And Well, uh, you, you know, uh, very knowledgeable about objectivism and, and uh, keeping track of the headlines as well. So Mark, let's just start over this idea of like the, the protests themselves. I mean, this got a lot of attention because you really, you know, don't see this much. You don't see a lot of Cubans rising up against the government in any respect, let alone in a manner that would actually create some headlines worldwide. Yeah, well, I think we're in a perfect storm where uh, all the inefficiencies of communism are, are coming to head at a very specific time that's been sort of tough on the entire world population because of our governments and are, are exacerbated there, especially because of their government. Uh, Cuba always has issues with food shortages and electricity problems, and now they're having issues with uh, distri distribution of the uh, COVID uh, vaccines, which is not surprising. Um, anybody who knows anything about economics knows that uh, central planning is, is uh, centralized economies are not really very efficient at uh, uh, doling out resources to their populations. The only people who don't seem to know that are people in the Hollywood left and, and leftist academics, but anybody with common sense knows that it, it presents a real problem. Um, and that's what they're experiencing now, and it's a perfect storm. And I don't believe they've had uh, any protests like this since what 1992, somewhere in there, after, sometime after the collapse of the of their uh, the Soviet Union and um, their I don't want to say their 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 tit the the tit that they were primarily sucking off when that finally yeah, uh, support yeah when that finally died um, they, they sent the Cubans to the streets. But now it's it's this <laughs> confluence of forces. So. Uh, I, last I heard, uh, uh, the Ca Castro was uh, was planning on on uh, on laying down the law in no uncertain terms for some of those poor folks. I hope they can um, prevail in some way. Yeah, and I saw some of that. Just you know, in Twitter, there's always kind of people posting. It never can be completely verified, but you know, it seemed pretty authentic of some some pretty terrible police police uh, police brutality. Mark, whenever I see this so-called protest, I mean, I, I'm always a little bit hesitant because, you know, you never really know what they're protesting for. Ayn, Ayn Rand has a wonderful quote. Uh, I don't remember exactly where it's from, but she says, there are two ways of changing the establishment. You can either be better or you can be worse. So sometimes when you see protests, I mean, the Arab Spring, for example, you wonder like, all right, well, it's good to rise up against the establishment, especially a totalitarian uh, establishment like in Cuba, but is what is going to replace it is going to be better, is going to be worse. 
We don't know, but it is a, a good sign that Cubans are rising up. What's been interesting, and maybe what we'll get into a little bit today is, you know, what was the reaction here in America and the UK and the so-called first world? A lot of people attributed it simply to that, as you said, the lack of COVID uh, vaccine. Now, when you think about Cuba, it's like, look, they can barely keep you know, bread on the shelves. You, you can't imagine, as you said, that it's going to be really easy to get the vaccine on the shelves. But is this just another example where the left says, oh, uh, it works in theory, but not in practice, or this really, this really wasn't the real socialism, real communism? Is it the same old, same old from the, the, those who are so enamored with self-sacrifice? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think what, those, what those cats all have in common is they're, um, they're rationalists. And I think most of the audience, uh, our audience knows what rationalism is, but um, it's, it's, it's basically people who hold ideas over reality. And the, these folks are enamored of the idea of socialism. I think there was a tweet recently by the actor from Stranger Things, David Harbour, that suggested something along the lines of, uh, you know, socialism is just sharing. You know, it's just what we did when we were kids. We shared toys with each other. It's that kind of naivete that permeates Hollywood on just about every level, even, even at levels that you'd think there'd be a little bit more intellectual depth. That's what keeps regimes like the Castro regime uh, going is because there's there's these types of folks who, who are actually so naive as to think that socialism is really about sharing and they're not looking at reality. They're just they're just masturbating on their own feelings about what socialism is. And and so, you know, whenever there's a conflict between what's really going on and the ideas that they have and the feelings that they have with respect to the thing animating what's going on, they choose their ideas over reality. Um, and that's uh, scary and sad. Well, and it kind of goes to something that objectivism emphasizes over and over and over again, is that the power of ideas, you know, People want to start with the politics, right? Oh, are you on the right? Are you the left? Tory or what is the other one? Labor, you know. And but it really starts, Mark, as you said, with that fun, those fundamental ideas. You know, um, uh, we can call it socialism. I think Rand also would look at it big picture as that idea of altruism. You know, in so many cultures, I think in Cuba, certainly a lot of Latin America, it's just kind of almost seems to be after generation after generation built in that you're going to sacrifice for one group, one leader or another, you're gonna sacrifice. And that's, I think, what makes America still to this day so unique. You know, I mean, you see those parades in Cuba and North Korea and everyone's like holding up a picture of the dictator or the leader. You know, you don't really see that much in America, or at least you hadn't seen that, that glorification of a, of a, of a political leader. I mean, in America, as it's, you know, as we know, it's about me in America. It's about your life, your happiness, your uh, uh, achievement. And, to see, as you said, time and time again, that the outgrowth of what happens in these, these socialist countries, unable to even feed their people, let alone uh, protect them from, uh, from something like COVID. Uh, but it's an altruism, that sense that, oh, we can't be selfish, right? We, you can't sell the vaccine to the highest bidder. What about this one that can't afford it? It's that sense of mandatory self-sacrifice altruism that always gets us back to socialism practice, isn't it? Yeah, and I feel like Americans did have a sort of hero worship with respect to the executive office at one time. And so the, you know, the men who occupied that pantheon were very small. You might see the deification of a George Washington, but he was a truly extraordinary person and Abraham Lincoln for his extraordinary capabilities. But later and later, especially later on in the Republic, you see a lot of deification of Democrat presidents. 
um, you see FDR, John F. Kennedy, uh, and they're even reanimating the corpse of uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson to be this uh, this uh, semi a demigod now, um, which is a complete revision of history. But you see a lot of that on the left, and now you're beginning to see it on the right. You saw it a little bit with with uh, Reagan, but now it's being encouraged by Trump in a big way. Um, so I've always considered the left, you know, to be more emotionalist, rationalist, and definitely more into the cult of personality, Obama, you know, also being one of their gods, and the right being less so, but now falling into that same pattern. So, I, I, you know, when you see Trump flags taking precedence over the American flag, you know that we're, we're going down a road that we might not be able to get back from. Yeah, I mean, glorification of the of the individual uh, and not the ideas. Thank you to all the super chatters. We've got a really lively chat here today. And I want to welcome, by the way, Mark and I want to welcome our viewers, our listeners from all around the world. You know, we're part of the Ayn Rand Center UK, but objectivism is for anyone living on Earth, not just in the UK or in America. So we love seeing our participants from all around continental Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and, and uh, certainly here in America as well. Mary Aline, Sam I don't believe it that she's bored. Uh, Mary Lean, thank you so much. Um, she asks, is the US to blame for no vaccines and food? And isn't that, that's kind of where we're going, Mary, Mary Lean, thank you so much. I mean, isn't that what so many haters of America always say, Mark? They look at someplace like Cuba and they say, oh, if it wasn't for the US sanctions, that's what's screwing Cuba. That's what's causing the misery. They said the same thing about Venezuela as well. You know, it's American sanctions and it's America itself that is causing all this, this, these terrible things, these maladies around the world. The same old, same old America hating, Bernie Sanders, Noam Chomsky, the classic left, piss on America and piss on the West, is it not? Well, anything to avoid the realities um, that are out there and revising their own premises. So, and America is you know, an easy target for them to hit. And the problem with that, in, in my view, is that Cuba can pretty much trade with everyone else. <laughs> and they can get tourists from pretty much everywhere else. So, um, you know, yes, America is the big, big boy in the room, but uh, it's not the only boy in the room. And uh, if, if they're having economic troubles, it's, it's not because uh, America chooses not to trade with them. It would certainly make them better off if America could trade with them. But they have enough other folks out there to, to do quite an adequate job if there weren't uh, thieves in, in uh, high places in government who are probably taking all that revenue for themselves. I'm sure the Castros have sweet little Swiss bank accounts to the tune of billions of dollars somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Now, I, mean, I was looking for my copy of The Virtue of Selfishness. And you know, for anyone who's new to objectivism, I love The Virtue of Selfishness. It should be definitely more you know, read. I think it's, there's so many brilliant little essays in there. They're easy to get through. Um, you know, Mark, I know you've, you know, you've read it and you've studied a lot. So it's certainly, certainly I'd recommend, you know, we kind of talk about altruism and, you know, the objectivist ethics, you know, I find so much of it in there and the virtue of selfishness. And it's, you know, it's the kind of thing, Mark, at least that for me gave me the so-called intellectual ammunition. So when people say like, well, come on, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, they have to give, the, they have to give it to those in need, or, you know, come on, look, we have, Cubans have to sacrifice for, you know, the, the, the greater good. You know, Rand says, you know, why? Why is that? Why is altruism held up as the as the moral ideal? Um, and that's what just makes that book so powerful. And I find that time and time again, you can apply it to these people say, oh, it's about politics. It's not. It's about morality. And Rand is on the right side. 
Indeed, yeah. I, I just did a, a reality check on equality, and I'm about to do one on selfishness and another one on rights. And you find that all of these concepts, liberty, equality, rights, selfishness, um, unlike other phil philosophical systems out there in objectivism, these concepts blend very nicely to, into each other. They're all almost uh, redundant in a sense because they're all based on the same ethics, the individual's right to his or her own life. And they understand that the source of, of value is the individual and can't be a group and that rights belong to individuals and not groups or pieces of people or, you know, so um, Rand is unique, is unique in articulating that. But, you know, look, we've had, what, 10,000 plus years of civilization since human beings, uh, you know, battened down the hatches and started settling down and creating what we call civilization. And through all that time, some version of altruism has ruled the day. And it's only been since, I don't know, 1957 that this vision of, of rational self-interest as a, an ideal moral code has really been put out there in the world. So 10,000 years versus 50 something years. Um, and, and you know, when we, we talk about the dark ages, Mark, right? We look back and we say, oh, well, thank God I wasn't born in the dark ages. But then you look at these contrasts, these juxtapositions between North Korea, South Korea. Okay, we've heard that a thousand times, but you know, look at Miami. It's been a couple of years since I've been down there, but it is sick, the kind of money and luxury and beauty. I mean, it is, it's, it's incredible. Um, the amount of wealth and success and just material goods, it's, it's dazzling. And then as they say, 90 miles south, I don't know if it's the middle ages, but I mean, it's certainly the mid 20th century, if not the early 20th century. And it kind of goes back to that idea. People say, oh, come on, just philosophy, talk, 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 talk. Let's get on with the politics. It starts with the philosophy. It starts with the ideas. And I think the, ju the juxtaposition between Miami and, and Havana, that says it all. Yeah, and there's laboratory examples of that all over the world, you know, uh, East and West Germany, uh, North, South Korea, as you were saying, Cuba and Miami. They're all over the place, Venezuela before socialism and uh, after socialism. Um, yeah, but when you, tell your, when you tell your lefty friends and you know, whatever, you, when we talk to a, a so-called leftist and we say, look at the difference, Miami, Cuba, they say what? They say, what's their response? Because as you said, it's like, it's right there in front of their face. Well, I don't, I don't know that they have a response other than to in some vague way claim that America is at fault somehow or another for it. I mean, they, they all sort of fall back to that position because America's big and wealthy and big wealthy things don't have a right to exist and they, they can never be virtuous to these folks. You know, the, the, altruist, the altruists um, have, have a David and Goliath perspective of uh, the world uh, that, that David and Goliath are in constant combat and Goliath can never be right. Well, um, we're getting an active chat this, uh, today on the, on the super chat, some great names, Daniel and, and Christopher, Sammy, and Laura makes a great point. And, and we've heard this you know, before, but it's really important to make that people flee Havana towards Miami, not Miami towards Havana. And, you know, Mark, as you know, they don't, they don't come to Miami in economy or in business. They come on this terrible little raft that chances are they're gonna drown. I mean, who knows how many Cubans have just drowned trying to get to Miami so they can bust tables for $3 an hour under, under the table. And you know, those are the types of immigrants that we want. People are come here, work hard, and 
you know, to not to to have that kind of furor. And I really hope that this metastasizes into something in Cuba now. And we could see a real revolution of ideas. I almost feel like we could airdrop in copies of Dr. Jerome Brooks' um, Free Market Revolution and give them that intellectual ammunition. I mean, why not an uh, objectivist revolution in Cuba? Send them those ideas that could really make this protest stick. Well, that would be very inspiring. And it's only 90 miles off of uh, the coast of Miami. And there is a huge uh, population of, of Cuban Americans uh, and, and Cubans uh, who haven't gotten citizenship yet, working hard, embracing the American idea of uh, rugged individualism, who could just, once that, once that bad, uh, uh, those bad folks get kicked out and that border opens up, who could permeate that, that border and go, go to their country and bring the, the fruits of their labor from here to there and exchange in a way that they've never done it before. And Cuba could be once again, a paradise in 20 years. Robert Nasser has got a wonderful show here on the Ayn Rand Center UK, really inspiring show, makes the point on our super chat that both Diaz, Canal and Maduro agree. It's the sanctions, it's the embargoes, it's all the capitalists fault. <clears throat> Isn't that funny? I mean, they always say that the totalitarians need an enemy. It's always the US, right? We're, the, we're successful, we're free, but he's right. It's, it's in Cuba, it's in uh, North Korea, it's in uh, Venezuela. Their misery is the fault of America. And, you know, I've never really considered it. It's always that fixed pie mentality too, right? There's that idea that, well, there's a certain amount of wealth in the world. America's got it. That's unfair. We've got to get it. And, you know, Rand has that wonderful quote about America's the, the place that invented the phrase to make money. Um, you know, what if that mentality, what if that objectivist self-reliance could be imparted even a little bit, five, 10% into the the Cuban world. I mean, I have, I have great high hopes for that, at least even in our lifetime, Mark. I think this could be the start of, of something big, but we need to speak out. You know, we need to encourage these ideas here at home in the UK, all around the world, and that's how they're going to spread. I certainly think these ideas are alive in the Cuban community. They're just being prevented from being born by the, the Cuban aristocracy, um, you know, because their, their power is threatened by the kind of uncertainty that free markets can, can bring. Um, they won't be relevant anymore, and, and you know these these dictators love being relevant. It's like it's like when you when you listen to the way that the, the dictators project onto other countries, and uh, you, you see you see an, a neurosis. <laughs> you see like you you see the same kind of neurotic behavior that you see in individuals who refuse to connect with reality, um, just on a on a massive social scale. It's, it's pretty um, scary. There's a, you know, probably a troll in the chat who's saying, you know, U.S. domination is waning. We, we heard this for years, right? It's, America's on the way down. It was, it was Japan that was going to take over. Then it was China that was going to take over. Um, and that's why when I look at these not free countries, Mark, I don't worry about them at all. You know, the more totalitarian China gets, the less I worry about it. The more, uh, you know, because I know that, you know, empirically time and time again, that Free countries are the most successful, the most prosperous, uh, and America still is that. And I think that's, to your point, that's why it's so hated, it's so despised on the world over, and why even still in America, kind of its, its compromised state is still the world's beacon for freedom and individual rights. Rand knew it, and I think we know it still today. Yeah, you know what, I'm with you. I mean, uh, you know, people on the right are now making China the big bad now that we have to 
turn our sights on and, and be concerned about the way we were with the Soviet Union. But, you know, Ayn Rand was the only one who understood that the Soviets were completely incompetent. And it turned out later on, they had something like 15% of our economy at their height. They were, they were a complete paper bear. They were really nothing. It was all smoke and mirrors. And I mean, China has embraced free market principles a little bit more. And, and to that degree, uh, there was some danger there. But you're right. The more they, they embrace authoritarianism and centralization, the less we have to worry about them. It's not powerful, guys. It's, it's weak. It's the weakest way to live. But I do. But what, what gives it the power is when people okay it, when they sanction it, when the left says, oh, come on, it's not that bad. A little socialism, as you said, is sharing. That's what gives it the power. It's a sanction of the victim. You're right. That that does give it power. And, and but now we have something going on. I think in America that is a little bit just more distressing than anything I've seen in the past. We, we seen we saw the beginnings of it. I think in the '60s, and that's a real crisis of conscience on the part of Amer of our American culture, where uh, a, a large proportion of of the American populace seems to be rejecting the American idea, and um, now it's it's a weak uh, position to take. It's 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 a weak premise, and I hope that the smaller portion of, of people who really do understand it, as you do with your book, the textbook of Americanism behind you there, um, I think uh, I think that you know our voices will be much stronger than theirs, and hopefully we'll be able to drown them out. But we are certainly at a crossroads, and I think. You know, it's not someone else that can take us out from the outside. It's definitely our own, our own ethical crisis that will undo us if it does undo us. Dr. Peacock, uh, on one of his podcasts, there's so many good ones. So, you know, in addition to the Anne Rand Center UK, subscribe to us, but also check out Dr. Peacock's library. At one point, Mark, um, he makes a comment, you know, of course, I don't remember which one, but he says something to the effect of, it's not communism that scares me, it's Harvard. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I remember you might've heard this and like, I don't remember where I can't place it, but you know, he's so right. It's like, I'm not worried about cancel culture or um, Black Lives Matter or, or, or China or anything like that. You know, I'm worried about what's being taught in the schools because that's where it starts, right? That's where the future assistance to the elected officials, this, you know, the second, you know, they're being taught and, you know, people say, oh, that's not true. Look at the draft here in America. I mean, it was a, a objectivist, a part of Ayn Rand's circle, Martin Armstrong, I believe, um, who took those ideas, took them to Capitol Hill under Nixon and helped abolish the draft. So Dr. Peacock is right. It's what's being taught in the schools that makes people sympathetic towards dictatorships like Cuba. And that's what needs to change. Indeed, indeed. And you know, you, know it, you, 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 see, you can sound like you're skirting a conspiracy theories when you say, Look, I mean, th there was a real cabal, a small cabal of, of, of men who were indoctrinated in, in a certain a vision of education that literally are responsible for all of public education today and the ideas that animate them. There's a very small handful of men out of the Columbia School of Education, um, where, which is the home of the Frankfurt uh, School and John Dewey. These people are major celebrities and they're acolytes trained millions upon millions of people and their ideas are still holding sway today in educational colleges. And those people are turning out teachers who are turning out kids who are right now the cynics of America and they're cynics for a reason. Mary Elaine, thank you for, your, for reminding me. It was Martin Anderson who was part of Ayn Rand's 
circle, not, I don't think the inner part as I understand it, but influenced by Rand and then took those ideas to Washington. And, you know, think about it, Mark, we could have been drafted. I mean, it could have, you know, the draft is just so terrible. So Rand was part of that, those ideas. And, and uh, thank you, Christopher, for your participation as well. Um, we're going to keep covering this in the days and weeks ahead. We're going to kind of cross our fingers that maybe we might be able to witness a revolution, maybe one day go on Ayn Rand Center UK speaking tour in Europe. And wouldn't that be amazing? Um, but we're even doing some of that outreach now. You know, we've got some programming in Spanish uh, you know, around the Ayn Rand Center UK. So, you know, if there's ways to get these, this program, these programs in there, I think that's, that's part of what supporting us does. It's helping us get the word out. You know, and, you know, Mark, you're an advocate for these ideas. It's part of you know, what your job is, not your only job, obviously. But so a lot of our viewers and listeners, they have real jobs. So outsource your intellectual activism to us here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. If it's five pounds, eight shekels, 20 yen, a couple of bucks, whatever it is, make us part of your, or support us because we're doing, um, as they say, God's work. I put the God in quotes as always. Will you, will you clubhouse with us? Me, yes, I will clubhouse. I, I, I love clubhouse. Also, I wanted to make a quick announcement here. Sure, sure. Uh, so, some of my Twitter exchanges with uh, the intellectual dark, dark web has, has um, inspired uh, one person whom I admire on Twitter, Zuby. I don't know if you know Zuby music. Uh, of course, he, he debated uh, Yaron Brook. Yaron, yeah. Yeah, it um, wasn't really a debate, more of a discussion. And we're going to have sort of a discussion on abortion. It was supposed to be tomorrow, but it's being pushed to uh, next Friday. So anybody wants to tune in, tune in. I'm taking the side of abortion rights happen at birth, which uh, will be very controversial for lots of folks out there, except objectivists, but for everyone else, it'll be controversial. Interesting. Um, yeah, I can't look forward to that. Zuby's, Zuby's an interesting guy. He's really, he's thought these issues out. He's not an emotional, he's kind of shoot from the hip. So excellent. Well, that's what we're bringing to you here at the Ayn Rand Center UK. Uh, great content, intellectual ammunition. We're all students of objectivism. So we're, we're learning together. Um, <laughs> thank you, Daniel, Alejandro, Jeffro, Jeff, Jeffrey, uh, Mary Aline, for all your contributions, Marilyn, once again. I mean, you're helping us, as I say, keep the lights on. So we'll keep it going on Clubhouse. Join us uh, for the discussion. We wanna hear from you and we'll see you back here. Same time, same station, same channel for the Ayn Rand Center UK's Daily Objective. See ya. Thank you.